Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Leah and Greg and I are going to talk about ways for keeping mountain bikers engaged. If you're listening to this podcast episode, chances are you're already hooked on mountain biking, but not everyone sticks with mountain biking, and many riders eventually move on to other things leaving their bikes to gather dust in the garage. What, if anything, can be done to prevent people from leaving the sport? And how do we reactivate those who are already gone? Today, we're going to talk about ways to keep mountain bikers engaged and active. So if you have a friend who's losing the fire, or even if you find yourself starting to ride less, this is the episode for you. So I want to start by asking Leah and Greg, why do you guys mountain bike? Start with you, Greg. For me, the number one reason is adventure and exploration. Like I did a bunch of sports before I started mountain biking. I still do other sports. But for me, the mountain bike is just an incredible vehicle for exploring this big wide world that we live in. I mean, you can just cover so much ground, see cool places, and it's a heck of a lot of fun when you're flying downhill too. And I've also written quite extensively about like the mental benefits I get from mountain biking, just the mental clarity, emotional balance. To me, those are my two two main reasons. Yeah, and I got to admit, I started for the same reasons too. The exploration, finding new trails, um, seeing different parts of the country, that was always really exciting to do on a bike. But now I find myself, you know, more into the physical aspects of it, right? I like a lot of fitness stuff. I'm always running or I'm working out at the gym, but I, I like that personal challenge that you can get when you're riding a mountain bike and, you know, there's obstacles on the trail and, and just trying to overcome new things. Uh, I wouldn't call myself like an adrenaline junkie or anything, but I definitely enjoy that, that endorphin rush that you get from riding a bike. Yeah. Mountain biking is definitely a lot of fun and it's got a lot of benefits like fitness and stuff. You get to see cool things outside, be outdoors in nature and explore. And then some people, for a lot of people, they get into it or one of the things that gets them hooked and gets them more into it is geeking out about the gear, you know? So it's, it's like a mountain biking is kind of a complicated, like deep sport, I guess, for lack of a better term, where there's like so much to learn and, you know, you're never going to be at the level where like, you know, everything. And so it's a really good sport that you can grow into over time. You know, you could do it for 20 years and you still find out every day. There's lots of stuff you don't know and things are changing. So to me, it's exciting and it's something that I enjoy learning more about and exploring more every day. Yeah, there's a good quote from, uh, I can't remember who it attributes to now, but uh, from a pro rider. And he said, if we weren't into uh, gear and the tech of it all, we'd all just be trail runners. <laughs> so, you know, and I think that's pretty true though, right? Like we have to sort of enjoy yeah, it. Exactly. So how many mountain bikers are actually out there? Have you guys done any research on that? Yeah, this is a pretty tough number to pin down because every source you look at is a little bit different. Uh, worldwide, I haven't seen really any great numbers for worldwide mountain bikers. But in the US, there's a couple of stats. The most commonly quoted one uh, is around 8 million. I saw one source that said 8.62 million in the US. But then uh, in the same set of research, I saw another source that said 40 million in the US. And there's a 
five times difference in those two numbers. So I think generally we trend towards the 8 million number more yeah. so. One of the things that I've seen in researching those same numbers is the definition of what a mountain biker is. And so that might be some of the disparity where for a lot of us, especially the core riders, people who ride every day and who listen to mountain bike podcasts, we're considered core riders. And there's a group of us that do that. And then there's the recreational riders, people who are going to ride like just a couple times a year, but they would still, you know, if you surveyed them in any given year, they're going to say, yeah, I rode my bike off road this year. And then also that's going to include kids because kids ride their bikes everywhere, which is awesome. But yeah, there's definitely a big difference, a wide range. And in this episode too, I think we're going to uncover sort of that divide between the recreational and the core rider. You know, the people, the people we're going to be talking about are people who have stopped riding completely, but to get them back into riding, what we're talking about is taking them from not riding at all to, you know, maybe riding a couple times a year, maybe once a month, more of what a lot of us would consider to be a recreational rider. So let's let's get down to it. I recently interviewed some friends, some people that I know from over the years who I mountain biked with who stopped riding just to get a sense of like why do people stop riding? The articles that we write every day, the people we interview, people we talk to are all mountain bikers. So I wanted to get a different perspective on our sport from people who aren't mountain bikers anymore and to find out why they aren't. So let's talk about some of the reasons that those people stopped riding. First one on my list, the one I heard from a lot of people over and over is that they have family commitments. You know, they started riding before they had a family or, you know, before they got married, before they had kids, whatever the case may be. And once, you know, their family situation changed, they stopped riding. So what's that about, Leah? Well, first, you know, we'll go ahead and get a little bit personal here. One of the reasons Jeff and I got married was because we both enjoyed mountain biking so much. So early in our marriage, we rode our bikes a lot. We traveled to a lot of different places to find new trails. Um, And in some ways, having that in common, like really spending all that quality time together in the car, on the bikes, in the woods, well, that kind of strengthened our marriage. So if you're fortunate enough to have like a spouse or a partner that enjoys riding as much as you do, then it's probably pretty easy to just keep on riding. But when you have, you know, different interests, which is totally normal, a lot of marriages are are like that because, you know, opposites attract or or so the saying goes. But in a marriage, you you still got to prioritize that quality time together. So naturally, that's going to leave less time for your own personal hobbies. Yeah. And then once you throw kids into the mix, that that leaves even less time for a lot of people, especially if you have like young kids who aren't, you know, even big enough to throw onto the back of a bike. I remember like waiting so long, like being like, when can we put like our kid in a Bob trailer? Like when can they hold their neck up? You know, (laughs) like there's definitely some point where you can't bring your kids. So that's a challenge people face, right? Yeah. And you know, when they are kind of smaller, you can stuff them in a trailer, not stuff them. Please don't do that to your kids. Don't stuff them in the trailer. It kind of is that way. Like they, our kids never liked it to be honest. Like they And I don't blame them, right? Like who wants to just get in this little pod that's like all zipped up with mesh? Like they can't see anything. They're strapped in. They can't move. They're looking at the back of a bike. Want to wiggle around and they're stuck there. Our kids were like, 
they were like convicts, you know, and they were trying to <laughs> break out of jail literally every time. Like they, there's like a Velcro closure on our trailer and they would, both of them, uh, would, they would try to rip it off and like just climb out while the bike was moving. They, they definitely weren't into it. Some kids are, but a lot of kids are not. So anyway, yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, so needless to say, you know, Jeff and I had to kind of take turns with our personal time to go do our mountain biking adventures or, or what have you. But, but then pretty soon, you know, they get a little bit older and, and your weekends aren't spent going on road trips and finding epic adventures anymore. There's, there's more soccer games and birthday parties, gymnastics, little Bed Bath & Beyond and Home Depot, you know. And again, you know, if you're lucky, your kids will grow up and enjoy riding bikes just as much as you, but, but it'll probably still be a while before they're ready and able to do some of the rides that you enjoy doing, you know, riding longer or more challenging trails. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, with a spouse, you know, you, your spouse might not be into riding. There's a good chance your kids won't be into riding, you know, despite your best intentions and, you know, really trying to encourage them to do it. You know, kids are people too. And like they have personalities and like some of them will just be like, uh-uh, I'm not into that. Like oh, I yeah, want to do something else. strong-willed yeah. kids. We got one of those. Yeah. So <laughs> don't feel bad if that's you. And we're going to talk about, you know, right now we're talking about what are the challenges, the, the reasons people give uh, for reducing their riding time or stopping altogether. Um, but later we're going to talk about ways that people can overcome those challenges or perhaps sort of work around them. So yeah, right now it's going to sound pretty, pretty dire, but we're going to offer some <laughs> solutions as we go on. So what about work commitments? A lot of people, again, people start riding maybe when they're in college, maybe even as a teenager doing NICA or things like that. And then once they start working full time, people find that they don't have as much time to ride bikes anymore. Greg, do you have any experience with that yourself? So I recently wrote a column and I did a bunch of research trying to figure out, okay, how much does the time does the average American commit to working? And, you know, obviously varies from person to person and averages vary, but between working and commuting, I found that the average American spends about 51 hours per week doing those types of things. So, which is a pretty, pretty decent time commitment. But then actually, as I was reading a book last night, a guy claimed that in Western worlds that people commit over 70% of their waking hours to work. And I was like, well, I just wrote an article on this. That seems high. I ran the numbers. I'd be like, found out. I was like, that's 78 and a half hours a week. I'm calling bullshit on that. But I'm sure there's plenty of people that do work 78 hours a week, but the average person, I don't know. So all this comes down to how you choose to spend your time, right? So you know, work, you spend your time working. Most of us don't have a choice on that. Uh, you need money to live. You have a family to take care of, all those sorts of things. So, yeah, I maybe that doesn't answer your question, Jeff, but whether or not I've had to deal with this. I know when I moved from, say, uh, college where I could go for a three-hour ride in the middle of the day to working full-time, like some of those flexibilities definitely aren't the case anymore. And I know we'll talk about solutions in a minute, but, you know, when we're talking about time commitments and stuff, it's like, yeah, can you go ride the Tour Divide from Banff, Alberta to Mexico and spend a few months doing that? Probably not for most people, but riding a few times a week, you know, you can fit that. You know, a lot of the comments that we got on my original article, which was titled Why I Quit Mountain Biking, which 
maybe sounded a little inflammatory, but yeah, there was a lot of like judgment and a lot of people saying like, oh, you know, that's just an excuse. Like you can ride more. And this isn't about like saying whether someone could or not. We're talking more about like, how do you prioritize those things? Because all of us, you know, I'm the same way. I don't, I don't like that excuse when you ask somebody like, why don't you exercise more? And they just say like, oh, I don't have time. Well, we all have time. We just have competing priorities. Right. And so it's about finding ways to reprioritize mountain biking or to maybe shift some of your other responsibilities and combine them together. Again, we'll talk about ways to make that happen. But again, like no judgment. You know, I felt I prepped some of my friends who I'd interviewed for this story and told them like comments are going to be going to be harsh because this is the internet and people are going to be like, oh, blah, you just don't ride more because you don't want it bad enough. And it's like, well, that's probably true. Like, you know, that's how we prioritize things is we do the things that we want to do the most. And again, like nobody's crying because they can't mountain bike anymore or whatever. You know, it's just like, let's find ways that we can uplift people and make it so that they can bike more. And we'll, we'll talk about that as well. Like why that's important a little bit later on. I can throw in one more idea about work and sort of how it gets affected. I mean, maybe this is just front of my mind because it's midwinter right now and we don't have much daylight in the Northern hemisphere, but it's, it always just, you know, frustrates me that work hours are during the day. And this time of year, you know, you finish work at, let's say you finish at 5 p.m., it's dark at 5 p.m., you know, or it's dark like a half an hour later. Whereas in the summer, easier to get out after work. Uh, in the winter, man, that's tough. And normally our response is, oh, just go night riding. But since moving to a place that's a lot colder than Georgia, Night riding when it's like 10 degrees is not much fun. I mean, maybe I could maybe harden up a little bit more, but um, so I struggle with that. <laughs> it's like, all right, it's nice midday, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's never the answer, right? I feel like that's what a lot of commenters were suggesting is just like, oh, toughen up, like just, you know, do it, even though it sucks. Like that doesn't make sense, you know? Like we're not trying to tell people that. Oh, you know, well, you work too long. Well, just stay up more. Like, don't sleep. You know, like, okay, that's a, that's a solution, but it doesn't make mountain biking more enjoyable or anything. So, yeah, that's kind of going to be the focus here. Hopefully, the people listening can appreciate that. So, what about financial costs? I heard that from some people that I talked to. You know, mountain biking is an expensive sport. Uh, the even if you don't buy expensive stuff, you're always wearing out parts. You have to drive places to ride and, you know, that costs gas money and stuff. So uh, talk a little bit about the financial cost of biking, Greg. I mean, this is really, this is very real. You know, bikes are not cheap. And uh, <laughs> I just met a, a neighbor recently and he was like, oh, my derailleur isn't shifting quite right. And I was asking about him like, hmm, <laughs> you could have some issues. I was like, it's always something. He's like, really? I was like, yes, there's literally always something. <laughs> right, you don't something. just buy your bike and then like you're good. You, you're you going to be spending on it forever. Yeah. He literally just bought it like two weeks ago. So I think it might be a little bit of a shock to him. But financial costs are, are very real. But again, this does come down to priorities a little bit. Like I know a guy, um, won't call him out, but he lives in a cold place and has lived without a car for a few years. And he has to work like anybody else. And he was like, well, bought a few nice bikes and just rides his bikes everywhere in midwinter. It's pretty, 
you know, again, that's one of those harden up situations. But, you know, if it's a question between eating, paying rent or mountain biking, you know, that's not much of a question. Definitely like look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and look at the things that you need to survive and thrive as a human being. And if you can't make those basic things like mountain biking is not going to be a priority. So I think that's a very real thing for millions of Americans, right? Yeah. It's like just trying to survive and we can't think beyond that much. Yeah. Well, even, even then, you know, I'm still, a lot of these people, they aren't deciding between like, should I mountain bike or do nothing? Like they're prioritizing, like, should I spend on a bike or should I have a Netflix subscription and cable? Should I stop going to the movies? Should I like sell my boat? You know, like they're competing other activities that people can be doing. And I think is kind of the point, you know, all the people I interviewed, they didn't stop because they had no money left. And like they, they had biking was the last thing that they were actually doing. They just found that it was expensive, perhaps relative to other activities that they could be doing. Like you said, trail running, uh, which, you know, doesn't cost anything. You just get a new pair of shoes once or twice a year and you're good, you know? So I think if we, frame it in that way where we're, we're talking about really mountain biking competing with other leisure activities, that financial cost definitely is not good. It doesn't compare favorably with a lot of things. Right. Along with those activities, right? You've got your phones you got to pay for. Those are expensive. It's, yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, just brings to mind the technology involved with mountain bikes. And it changes so quickly in the industry that it's so easy to get caught up with wanting like the latest and greatest carbon and the latest and greatest iPhone X, right? It's just like an iPhone. It's just like, it's like cars too. Some bikes are even as expensive as cars. And when you buy a new car, you know, the minute you drive it off the lot, it's, it's depreciating in value. And, and Jeff, didn't you do some research recently about the resale of mountain bikes, of new mountain bikes, wasn't it a huge drop off in, in the first year or something? Yeah, it's a lot worse than uh, cars, actually. So, yeah, big, big drop. Yeah, I want to say it was 40, 45 percent, something like that. So, yeah, if, if bikes were like cars, you know, it would be awesome if we could just lease them for three years and turn it back into the dealer and get the newest model. Wouldn't that be <laughs> something? Yeah, there you go. Out? If only. You know what what I think is really interesting when you're comparing to other leisure activities is like it's all in what leisure activity you compare it to, you know. If you compare mountain biking to stick and ball sports and uh Jeff you wrote an article recently that touched on this, mountain biking's so much more expensive, but you start comparing to motor sports or owning a yacht, things like that, like yeah. you know, it's it's not even on the same level. It's all relative for sure. But yeah, I guess the point is there are much cheaper athletic activities that people can participate in and do. And so, yeah, I probably use some bad examples, cable TV and boats, <laughs> but yeah, if we're talking about trail running or, you know, something that's similar, yeah, I feel like it's pretty, it's tougher, tougher to justify mountain biking. Again, nobody's saying that we can't justify it. And like people are idiots because they can't go mountain biking anymore. Like that's, this is just a real trade-off that people are making and they're evaluating their options. You know, that again, it's tough. I feel like people assume that other people are just being lazy or dumb and like can't understand these trade-offs, but these are real trade-offs. And just because we don't feel them ourselves, that doesn't mean that that reason doesn't exist for someone else. And again, I like using the word reason instead of excuse because excuse obviously has a really negative connotation. 
Anyway, so another one, lack of riding partners. Mountain biking is a social activity. I don't know if we mentioned that in the reasons that we ride, but that's definitely a reason for me. Um, I know I've made a lot of friends through mountain biking and have a good group of folks that I ride with regularly. And one of one of my friends that I interviewed, he said basically when he moved away from our group, he had a hard time finding other people to ride with. So what have you found uh, in terms of a lack of riding partners? How does that stop people from riding more? That's a great question. I think a lot of it boils down to personality type probably. And I, I ride the line between introvert and extrovert. Like I take it's a personality test. I fall right in the middle. So, you know, depending on the day I flip flop one way or the other, I think maybe this is a, a big reason for the more extroverted among us. They always want to be hanging with people and doing things with people. Whereas maybe for other people, introverts, not such a big issue. And I'm a naturally extroverted person. So I enjoy the company when riding. When I moved to California um, shortly after college, I remember one of the first things I did was try to find a group of women to ride with, a group of women that could show me where the trails were. Um, you know, it was a great way to make friends and find other places to ride. And plus, if something happens, you know, if I crash out there in the woods, I break my collarbone, which, which by the way, is like kind of a weird dream, like that's my glamorous injury that I would like to have one day, but I don't really want to have. But anyway, Gives I would, a lot of cred, <laughs> a lot of trail cred. Right. If sure. I were to get injured, please let it be a broken collarbone. But if that were to happen, I, you know, I would need someone to push my bike out for me. I'll be crawling with my broken collarbone, but someone's got to get the bike. Yeah. And it's, I mean, mountain biking is dangerous. We're about to segue into injury. Riding with other people is whether you like to do it or not, it's generally a good idea and it starts to get old if nobody will ever go with you and could run into other problems. So injury, that's another one. None of the people that I interviewed listed that as a reason. Nobody had like an injury that forced them to stop biking altogether, but injury and perhaps even the fear of injury definitely causes people to bike less, especially as they get older. So Greg, I know you've dealt with some injury yourself. Can you explain to us a little bit maybe what the thinking is behind that, behind people who stop riding because of injury? Yeah, I'm definitely sympathetic to this reason. And I've met plenty of people since like Jeff, you know, I work for, I mean, we all work for single tracks and you tell somebody what you do. They're like, oh, I used to mountain bike, but I, a lot of times I hear I've got such and so injury and now I can't anymore. Like it's, it's very possible that you get injured and you physically cannot mountain bike anymore. Like that could very well happen. Or your doctor tells you not to, you know, I, that's the excuse I hear. Sorry. That's the reason that I hear a lot from, from people who run because I'm a runner and yeah, I'll run into people all the time and say, I used to run, but my knees are so messed up. My doctor told me to stop running. Sometimes it's doctor's orders. I mean, so that could very well happen. And I'm pretty sympathetic to that. And I feel like I came very, I've come very close before. And lots of times I feel like I'm on the the bleeding edge of that where it's like, all right, if one other bad thing happens, like I'm done and I can't do it anymore. And even if you've been injured enough, especially from a traumatic injury that you're afraid enough that you don't want to go through it again, like I can feel that. I can feel that fear. 
Another reason that people mention for biking less is due to trail access. So I had some friends that I rode with in Colorado. And then once we moved away to different parts of the country, um, at least one of my friends said the riding just wasn't as good where he was living after Colorado and kind of, you know, lost interest in it. So how does trail access play into people's mountain bike activity? I think this is a great or very valid, I should say, reason for maybe not mountain biking very much because if you don't have good trail access, that's extremely prohibitive to mountain biking specifically. You know, if you have to get in the car and drive 30 minutes, an hour just to get to the closest trail, that makes it more time prohibitive and more cost prohibitive too than if you had trail access close by. So this hits a bunch of different things. And then it's not as much fun anymore. It takes bigger commitment to make it happen. This could be a really big issue. And I know some people are like, yeah, you can build a great trail anywhere. And I totally see that. But I guess this point is driven home every time I go back to Georgia to visit my in-laws because Georgia's got great mountain biking, but it just so happens that where they live, like the closest mountain bike trails, at least a 40 minute drive. So if I bring my bike, I've got to hop in the car and drive at least 40 minutes to go ride. And if I ask myself, Hey, if I grew up here, would I be a mountain biker? Question is, or the answer is rather probably not. Yeah. And imagine if you, if you moved there, you know, you didn't even grow up, but you know, you took a job or had to go to a, a new city for whatever reason and the trails aren't there. It's pretty easy to just drop it all together. Yeah. It seems like it, it you're kind of screwed if you live in a remote area and the trails aren't near you, but it, you even see it in the city too. So if you live in an urban area and your closest or your backyard trails are are overcrowded because that's where everyone goes after work or they're overridden. And well, that can just take some of the fun out of it. And, you know, what's the point if you can't get in any flow when you're constantly yielding to other bikers or, or maybe even are, are on that, that trail? Yeah. Trail access seems to be a really big issue, but fortunately, as we're going to discuss later, it's something that can be overcome or at least mitigated to some degree. Finally, one of the things that we hear from people who've stopped riding or or who are riding much less is that they are out of shape. And let's be honest, like all of us have been there. We all feel that we're out of shape, whether we are or not at some point in our lives. But for some people, you know, it's a gradual thing where they really are. They just let themselves get really out of shape. And coming back to mountain biking can be intimidating, right? Yeah, I mean, this one you almost is is borderline excuse, borderline <laughs> reason, right? Because a lot of it comes down to like your choices if you're educated enough to to make like good choices, right? Obesity rates continue to rise in America. I get really kind of upset about this issue because well, you know, especially with kids, seeing kids living kind of an inactive lifestyle growing up that's happening in adults too. We've got poor food choices, right? We've got so much convenience food available to us that it, that's hard to say no to. Um, you combine that with, with what did Greg say? We've got 50 plus hours that we're probably sitting at a desk working um, in front of a computer or we're sitting in a car, you know, driving on a commute. And then, and then you know, there's the beer, of course, there's just so much irresistible, delicious beer out there. Well, you throw in that with your, you know, some genetic factors and that can really take a toll on our health and 
you know, your mobility. And so maybe you've quit mountain biking. You're not necessarily obese, but you probably, you know, over the years gained a few pounds, you're overweight and then your aerobic capacity suffers and you're, you're huffing and puffing out there. Well, a lot of mountain biking is, guess what? It's high intensity cardio. So you probably need some kind of aerobic base before you really want to be getting out there and putting in the miles on the single track. Yeah. And I know a lot of people can be really self-conscious about that as well. You know, they, they are really out of shape and maybe they want to get back into mountain biking or try it for the first time even. And they don't want to slow people down. So they, you know, ride by themselves and they don't have that much fun because it hurts and they just kind of give it up, you know? And again, I'm sure a lot of people will say that's an excuse and you need to just get over it. But again, that's a, that's a reason. That's a reason that people don't stick with mountain biking and they don't find it as fun as some of us maybe do. So maybe we've beaten this dead horse a bit too much, but I did want to ask you guys, what, what is your perspective? Are people, these reasons that we listed, are they reasons or are they just excuses? Are these all things that, you know, people are just, they're just making up reasons and they should get over it and start riding more. Greg, what do you think? I know you're opinionated on the topic. Yes, I'm pretty opinionated, but I'm opinionated on the topic of you get to choose what you do with your life and how you spend your life. And there's always choices to be made. We've talked about a lot of things that people choose to do instead of mountain biking, but I like to focus on the choice of the matter. You can choose to go mountain biking. You can drop pretty much everything and sacrifice all sorts of things in order to go biking. And there's a lot of riders that have done that. So I tend to focus on that quite a bit. Yeah. I guess my argument is that mountain biking maybe isn't as fun for those people as it is for us, for those of us who do it regularly. And so again, it's not that they're like, oh, I wish I could. It's more like I've considered it, but there are these reasons why for me right now, it just isn't something that I'm going to prioritize. You know, again, if it were the kind of thing where, you know, every time you get on the bike, it's fast and it's easy and it's fun and the trails are amazing, then of course you're going to prioritize that. But if not, then it's not a priority. Again, I think people make rational choices based on the alternatives and everything else that's around them. And so again, I, I don't think it's like a character flaw that people have where they're just like, oh, I really wish I could do this, but I can't. I think it's more like I could do this, but I got stuff that's more fun or easier or whatever. What do you think, Leah? Well, I would agree with you, Jeff, about, well, excuses does sound pretty harsh and you know, you can call it reasons, you can call it excuses, but like at the end of the day, I think most adults are making trade-offs, right? Like work-life balance, that's a real thing people struggle with. You know, I do. But in 15 years, I want to be able to say that, you know, my kids aren't jerks. They're regular, <laughs> real contributors to society. I want to be able to know that I spent good quality time with them when they were children and raising them. And, you know, if that comes at the price tag of never getting to ride at, you know, Porcupine Rim, then I could, I could probably live with that. Just as long as you're not trading it in for sitting on the couch, folks, you know, PSA, <laughs> sitting is the new smoking. So right. just, just get up and move. Yes, that's good advice, no matter who you are. So another question, this, this whole conversation sort of begs is, should we even bother getting people into mountain biking? Like Greg, you and I have had this discussion about 
do we care if more people are mountain biking? What's sort of the benefit to that, you know, as a regular mountain biker, should we be trying to grow the sport or should we just be in it for ourselves and kind of just enjoying it for our own reasons? Yeah, this is a complex topic. And, you know, as Jeff just said, you know, people, maybe for some people, it's not that much fun. And I can totally buy that. Like, if you don't want to mountain bike, like, don't mountain bike then, you know? I think people just need to be honest about it. A lot of times people are like, yeah, but, yeah, but I've got this. Maybe they just don't want to tell you the real reason. Maybe they're embarrassed. Yeah, <laughs> that could be it. So for me, if it's like if you would rather go skiing or snowboarding or trail running or road biking or road running or whitewater kayaking or backpacking or hiking, mountaineering, whitewater rafting, then go do it. You know, there are so many incredible sports out there that I don't think we need to be like trying to coerce or beg or, you know, plead with people to ride mountain bikes. Like if they want to do something else, that's go do that thing, you know, uh, live your life, make your own choices, do what you want to do because you get to choose. Like I said, you know, you get to choose what you want to do and you can choose not to mountain bike. And that's totally 100% okay. In my opinion, you know, I'm with you, Greg, I'm definitely an advocate of an active lifestyle. Um, especially if it gets you outdoors and exploring new places. Um, but personally there, there's like something very nostalgic about riding bikes, right? It kind of makes you feel like a kid again. And, you know, there's, there's something about kind of that feeling right after your long work week or your long day, right? Like, let's just not be so serious for five minutes and and let's go pedal outside and let's go kind of be wild and free. I I just want, however you want to experience that outside, let's, let's find a way to do that. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it at the start of the episode, all the advantages or the reasons why we mountain bike, you know, and it's, just appreciating that for ourselves and wanting that for others. I think, you know, I mean, it it borders on almost like evangelism, right? Like in a religious way where you have this thing and you think that it's so positive for you that you want to share it with others. And, you know, again, there's, there's the fitness benefits, there's reconnecting with nature, which hopefully makes people better people. I mean, I think all three of us probably agree with that. And so again, maybe getting people back into the sport is more about, helping others and giving back. And I've felt that the most interviewing, you know, my old riding partners and just thinking about the fact that I would love to ride with these guys again. You know, this was, there's half a dozen people that I talked to all still, you know, friends who some I keep in touch with some that I don't, but every one of them, I thought like, man, it would be great to like go for a ride with these guys again. You know, maybe it's once or twice a year, but yeah, to be able to do that. But right now, I can't do that because they're they're not a part of the sport in an active way. So what is the sort of concrete value in having more people in the sport beyond just, you know, the feel good aspects of it? I think when a lot of people talk about growing the sport, they're talking about growing the industry. At least that's the people that I talk to a lot. You know, maybe they own a bike shop and they're seeing declining revenues. They're owning a bike brand and they're having a hard time making it. They're trying to start something new. And they're like, well, if we just have more people to buy our products, then it'd be easier. So that's where I see a lot of this argument coming from. But I think there's one other actually like really good reason to have more mountain bikers, and that is more advocacy clout. When we're negotiating for mountain bike trails, the more people that you have and the more people you represent, the better it is. But big butt here. Mountain bikers are really horribly organized the way it is. If there's 
even half of that 8 million number, if there's even 4 million core mountain bikers in the U.S., you know, that's a fraction of the number of mountain bikers that are even like registered to IMBA or engage in advocacy in some way. You know, there's, if we could just connect with those four to eight million mountain bikers, then we'd have the advocacy problem solved, but we haven't yet. So there's a lot of nuance to this argument, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, we see that at the local level too, that, you know, if more people will just speak up and say, we want mountain bike trails, then it makes it a lot easier to get the mountain bike trails put in. So yeah, it's kind of a chicken and an egg problem for sure, because we don't have the numbers, but we're trying to get the numbers, trying to get people activated again. And how do we do that? So let's, let's dive right into that then. Like what are some of the ways that people are or could be addressing these roadblocks or these reasons that people give for doing other things instead of mountain biking with their time. One of the main things we said was family time. People have family commitments and they find themselves riding less. So how can we address that through perhaps trail design, Leah? Well, family-friendly trails, well, they don't have to be like lame and boring. It sounds like they would just have to be very easy trails, but you know, here in Atlanta, I think the Blankets Creek Trail System is a good example of, of family-friendly trails. So there's a flattish trail where kids can get used to, you know, riding off a road. And there's a skills area where kids and adults can, can practice basic skills. And then they have intermediate and more advanced trails. So really, when you build a network of trails, having something for everyone really allows the whole family to go and have a good time together. Yeah, the good old flow trail too, you know, that was like the promise of the flow trail from the beginning that everyone from a beginner to an advanced rider can have fun on a flow trail. And, you know, lately it's gotten a bad rap, especially among core mountain bikers as being not fun or they're all the same or whatever. But, you know, I suspect people who have gotten out of mountain biking who haven't been riding for a while would love flow trails, especially if they have kids because they can ride with their kids and then you know, the, the adults can get a little more speed and get in the air a little bit and have a lot of fun. Also, as a part of that is accessibility, right, Greg? People need trails closer to where they live. Yeah, and I like how, Jeff, you've sort of reframed the conversation a little bit here from, you know, trying to get people in the sport to removing barriers to entry because I think that is sort of key, right? Is if we can remove the things that make it hard to get into the sport, then people can more easily choose this on their own accord, you know, and it can benefit even existing riders. So I think trail location uh, is one of those things. You know, if you have trails closer to where you live, you're more likely to ride and more likely to ride more often. And that applies to new people getting into the sport. They have the opportunity to do it close to where they live, but that even applies to existing mountain bikers. I think we ran a survey a while back to see what the average commute to the closest mountain bike trail was, and I don't remember those numbers, but it was a pretty long ways, especially when you compare to Jeff and Lee and I, who all have like ride mountain bike trails from our doorstep. So most people hop in the car to get to their trails. Whereas if you can bring the trails to the rider, like that's amazing. And Imba, to their credit, has been doing a great job of this in recent years, building trails in urban areas, bike parks in urban areas, focusing on 
town and city and county parks. And I think that's great. I think it makes a heck of a lot of sense. Some people rip on them for doing that. And while I agree we can't abandon wilderness trails in this process, I think focusing on building trails that are going to get that traffic and going to connect with the rider, that's awesome. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, there's need for all kinds of trails. I mean, accessibility is great. And we see a lot of that here where we live. You know, there's now seems like there's more and more support for things like pump tracks and skills areas, you know, even in an urban or semi-urban area where we are, where there isn't land to build 10 mile cross country loop, but there is room to put a little pump track and a skills spot and just gives people the ability to ride more during the week so they can improve their skills. And then maybe, you know, on the weekends they venture out and then along the wilderness lines as well. Like if we have those iconic, backcountry trails and stuff that again is a is a thing that people can aspire to at least you know that's something that they can get excited about again you know if they have if they live somewhere where there isn't good bike access you know especially along the east coast where there are a lot of beautiful mountains but a lot of the trails are just not open to bikes and that makes it hard if you do live you know say within driving distance of some of those places you're not going to be as excited about going out if you can't ride the trails. Let's talk about the social aspect of riding. Obviously, there are groups of people who go riding. What do you think uh, people could do to make mountain biking more inviting or more friendly for more of the extroverted riders like you? <laughs> yeah, well, this might be a little bit harder for some of the more introverted folks to do to step out of their comfort zone and kind of seek out other mountain bikers, but, you know, a lot of local mountain bike clubs put on group rides. Um, it's as easy as, you know, searching on Google. I think even single tracks has a section where we list a lot of the local mountain bike clubs. Um, so go on their website or go on their Facebook pages and find out what kind of events they're having. You know, they usually will have beginner rides, maybe even some women's only rides. You know, if you're going or if you're worried about going on a group ride because of your skill level, kind of like Jeff had touched on before, you know, chances are that with a lot of these group rides, there's usually a faster paced group, a, a slower group. So, you know, just join in where you can. If you've taken a hiatus and you're a little bit slower, that's okay. These groups are, you know, mountain bikers are people too. We are, <laughs> we, are. <laughs> we are friendly, I think. Yeah. You know, speaking of all the ones I know, we're pretty friendly. You know, we're not going to leave you out there on the trail to be abandoned. But Yeah. Well, and if you're a core rider too, you know, consider starting a group ride, like make a regular ride that you're going to show up every Tuesday night and, you know, everybody's welcome and just see what happens. You know, I think that's how, you know, my group ride started. It was just a couple of guys that were riding and they made it a regular thing and, you know, they started attracting other riders who are like-minded people. Um, and again, you know, this is a great time to do this because we're in this like internet age and the social media age where you can post something up on meetup or Facebook or single tracks and, uh, you can, you can get people to come out and maybe some people are going to get back into riding. Maybe you even set up your ride that way. And you say like, this is a group for recovering mountain bikers, you know, recovering, covering addicts, people that used to be <laughs> into it, but now they're not. And, you know, who knows who will show up to that. Another barrier that we mentioned is the financial part. And it seems like companies can do some things 
to address those problems that people have with mountain biking by offering a different mix of bikes, right, Greg? Yeah, I think if we see prices come down, that can really benefit all riders, both the beginner riders and the advanced riders. You know, it can keep the sport more attainable and enjoyable and not so expensive. This is still a complicated one because people like to get nice bikes and bikes that they're going to enjoy. And I was just at a local shop and I was getting a bike fit done and I overheard some of the sales conversation. I always like sort of eavesdropping on the sales conversation and dude was looking for a bike for his uh, girlfriend and he's like, I want to spend around 500 bucks. And the sales lady was like, yeah, well, we can sell you a bike for that, but she might not have much fun on that bike. So <laughs> if we can get bikes that are actually fun to ride for like three to five hundred dollars, that'd be great. It's like we already have those bikes. They just they're kinda sucky. So that's a problem I think we're seeing right now. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And the funny thing about that one too is again, you know, we got a lot of comments and maybe I need to stop paying attention to the comments, but you know, people were core riders who were saying, like, oh, that's not an excuse, but those same people like to complain about how expensive bike stuff is. So it would benefit all of us. It's not just for the new riders. Um, everybody benefits if bikes are less expensive. And, you know, we see things like the little big bike, which I reviewed a little while ago, which is a adaptable bike for kids so that, you know, you're not buying like a Strider and then you got to buy them a bigger Strider and then a pedal bike. You know, this is like one bike that you can keep around for a while and get good value out of, you know, we're seeing the direct sales model cut prices on a lot of bikes and a lot of these bikes too, they're not cheap. You know, we're still talking $2,000, you know, 2,500 bucks for a really good bike, but that's still a ton of money. And so maybe there are opportunities for more local bike shops to like have loaner programs or rentals. You know, if you, you're somebody who doesn't ride at all, you know, used to ride, now you ride zero. And, you know, we're, we're talking about how do we get somebody to ride a few times a year? Well, same thing with like cars. Now people find that they only need a car like a couple of times a year. And so what do they do? They rent a car at that time when they need it. So maybe if you make rentals more accessible or like Leah said, the, um, the lease model, you know, maybe there are more innovative ways that people can do it. And that's like not a big commitment because again, that's a big upfront cost to be like, oh, you want to get into mountain biking? Well, it's $2,000 because the bike you have from the 90s, I can't even get parts for it anymore. So yeah, if, if, if rentals or leases or other things were available, perhaps people would get back into the sport. Finally, this is going to be a controversial one, but what about e-bikes? That's sort of the promise that a lot of the e-bike companies make is that it's good for people who don't have the time or don't prioritize the time for riding and staying in shape. And also for people who have potentially have been injured or they let themselves get out of shape, no judgment. But yeah, what about e-bikes? Is that, do you guys think that's a good thing or a bad thing for these types of riders? Again, not judging e-bikes, are they good or bad, but is this, you know, something that potentially is going to allow people to ease back into the sport? I think it depends on the biggest barrier that the person is facing. And, you know, we've broken down a lot of these barriers into like, here's one, here's another, here's a third, but a lot of them are interrelated, right? Like if you're, let's say you're, I, I hate to talk about some of these things because they're, they're sensitive topics, but for instance, <laughs> you could be uh, overweight and 
that could partially be because you don't have much money. And it's, it's a proven fact that the more calorie dense and less healthy for you foods are more expensive. So, and it's also proven fact that lower income brackets have a higher rate of obesity as a result of that. So if those things are related, then a mountain bike is, or an e-bike rather is going to be way out of your price range. So, you know, it depends on what your biggest barrier is. If you're the dentist who sits at his desk or at his dental chair, I guess, and is out of shape but has a bunch <laughs> of money to burn, then maybe the e-bike is going to work for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It totally depends. All these solutions depend on what your barrier is. And again, one of my friends mentioned that he would like to get into biking and, but you know, it wasn't in the same shape he was in back when he used to ride uh, with me. And he said, well, maybe I'll take up downhill biking kind of in an offhand, offhand joking way. But I thought about it and I was like, well, that's like skiing. You know, a lot of us, especially people with plenty of money, go skiing like once a year. And it's not something that you got to stay in shape for or like, you know, really have to put a lot of effort into it. You can just kind of go skiing once a year and have a really good time. Same with downhill biking. But then I thought he's probably never heard of e-bikes, you know? I mean, he'd probably enjoy an e-bike because, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time commitment to stay in shape for e-biking, or I guess you could say it takes less time commitment for that. And so, um, maybe again, people who are feeling self-conscious because they feel like they're slower than they used to be, or for whatever reason, that e-bikes might be something that helped them get back into the sport. Okay. I think we've exhausted this discussion. There are probably some other solutions out there and we'd love to hear from you if you have some ideas for making mountain biking easier for people to stick with or to get back into. Remember, if you're enjoying the Single Tracks podcast, we'd love to have you rate us. Fire up your podcast app, find the Single Tracks podcast, and rate us five stars. We'd appreciate it. That's all we've got this week. Talk to you again next week. Peace. <laughs>